Luke 19, verses 2 through 10. It's found on page 929, if you'd like to follow along in the few Bibles. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Good morning. I am uh, thankful to be here this morning. I know you're thankful to be here too. If you're a guest in the audience, thanks for stopping in. And uh, it brings us joy to see you here today. Glad that you're visiting with us. If you're looking for a church home, we hope you find it right here with us as we're trying to be God's family and do His will. Uh, thank you so much for being here. A couple of things as we get started. We want to make you aware of a reception coming up to honor Brian and Allison and Ava LeMasters. Of course, Brian joined our staff uh, pretty much right at the beginning of summer, and then summer hit, and summer's crazy, as you guys know. And so there really hasn't been a good time on our church calendar to welcome them. On top of that, uh, we, they were still selling a house in Madison, Alabama, so Brian was here and Allison wasn't, so it really wasn't a good time to throw them a welcome party. Well, we want to do that, so if you would make plans, I believe it's next Sunday night, September the 8th, after the evening worship, uh, if you'll join us, it'll be in the Upper Fellowship Hall, uh, there'll be some cupcakes provided, there'll be a time of fellowship, and uh, we're thankful that they're here doing a great job and Brian doing a great ministry, and uh, we're so grateful for the LeMasters family. This morning, the lesson is somewhat unique in that in, in my 13 years of, of doing full-time ministry, I don't think I've ever had an eldership to say, we'd like for you to preach that. But that's changed. This morning, I'm going to preach something to you that I shared with them on our, our ministers and elders vision retreat back in May. And so I want to share with you some things that I think will encourage you and hopefully fire you up. I think it fired up the eldership, and I know it fires me up. I think for, for this lesson to work, there are three kind of basic concepts, three big principles that I need everybody in this room to grasp in order for this lesson to really sink in. And so number one is this. Number one, I am a minister, okay? I'm going to ask you to repeat that with me. Ready? I am a minister. That might sound weird coming out of your mouth. Maybe you're like, I don't know if I should say that, but you are. The word minister means servant. And I think sometimes we're, we're tempted to think about a minister in this way. We think about somebody on the next slide, yeah, um, someone working at a church, and that, you know, that's our minister. And maybe you go out to eat, and you're like, hey, that guy over there, he's our minister. I want you to meet him. And, and I get it, and I understand. And hopefully the guy who stands in the pulpit or the guy who works at the church, he's a minister too. 
But also, I think it's more important for us to think about the church this way. We don't want to be a church with a minister. We want to be a church of ministers. We want to be a church full, to use the other word, a full of servants. The church is a whole lot healthier when we think of it in that way. So number one, you are a minister. And therefore, number two, I have a ministry. Can you say that with me? I have a ministry. Well, a minister is a servant. A ministry is a service. All of us have a service to perform, a job to do before God. In Romans 12, verse 1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, our responsibility, our job is to use our bodies to serve God, our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength, our hands, our feet. We want to serve God with everything we have. So number one, I am a minister. Number two, I have a ministry. And number three, I want to be the best minister I can be doing the best ministry I can do. You don't have to repeat that one with us. It's kind of long. But I'll say it again. I want to be the best minister I can be doing the best ministry that I can do, don't you? I want to be the best servant that I can, giving the best service to my God that I can. Remember the parable of the talents? I guess really we could call it the, the parable of the ministers. The, the parable that there were some servants who caused their masters to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. On the other hand, there's unhealthy service. There's a servant who served his master poorly. He's called wicked and lazy. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be a wicked or lazy servant. I want to be a good and faithful minister. So now that we got those three basic concepts, I want us to spend a few minutes this morning talking about effective ministry. How do we serve God effectively? What does effective service look like? I believe effective ministry consists of four things, and, and they're on the screen here. The first thing is people. Ministry is people. If we're not reaching people, if we're not serving people, what are we doing? Number two, I believe effective ministry has a purpose. Number three, I believe it consists of programs. And number four, I believe it solves problems, problem solving. That may not make sense to you just yet, but they will by the time we're done, so hang with me. I want to show you how these principles ring true in the Word of God. And to do that, I want us to look at the life of Jesus, Jesus who had the most influential, effective ministry in history. Why was he effective? Well, if you go to the next slide, number one, his life was all about people, right? He served them and saved them. He sought them and taught them. He fed them and he grew them and he healed them. That's number one. Number two, Jesus had a clear understanding of his purpose. I love this. He knew exactly what he was supposed to do and what he was supposed to accomplish. In Luke 19, verse 10, we just read the story of Zacchaeus where Jesus says the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's pretty clear. Jesus, why are you here? Why are you spending time with this sinner named Zacchaeus? Jesus says, easy, I came for lost people. I came for Zacchaeus. In Luke 2, 49, Jesus understood his purpose even from an early age. That's pretty unique, isn't it? where when Joseph and Mary lost him as a small boy and they finally found him, what was it that he said to them? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? He never grew out of that mission. He said this in adulthood in John 6, verse 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Sounds very similar to what he said when he was a young man. Mark 10, 45, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. He says, I came to serve and I came to die to pay for your sins. He came to fulfill the scriptures. In Matthew 5, 17, he says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to what? To fulfill them. He came to give us life. John 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. In Matthew 10, uh, one of the hard sayings of Jesus, we've been talking about discipleship and how hard it is to truly be his disciple. He says this in, in Matthew 10, 34 and 35, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He says, I came to draw a line in the sand. I may divide your family, but if you don't love me more than your family, you can't follow me. Jesus understood his purpose, to seek and save the lost, to do his Father's will, to serve, to give himself up, to fulfill the scriptures, to give life, and to cause people to make a hard choice. When we understand what our purpose is, some important things begin to happen. Number one, it points us in a direction. Next, it governs our schedule. Here's how I'm going to spend my time. It helps us say yes to things and no to things. It gives us a to-do list. Here's, here's what I'm going to be working on today. Number five, it causes us to evaluate who we are, what we're doing, and respond accordingly. In other words, it keeps us in check. It holds us accountable. It helps us stay on track. Okay, number one, Jesus moved people. Number two, he did ministry with purpose. Number three, he built effective programs. Well, what does that mean? Your programs are what carry out your purpose. Your programs carry out your purpose. To use like an earthly analogy, if, you're, if your number one purpose in life is to become the best basketball player in the world, you're going to put some programs into place, right? How are you going to spend your time? I'm going to practice this much amount. I'm going to eat this way. I'm going to go to this many camps a year. I'm going to hire the best trainer that I can find. I'm going to spend this much time watching film. I'm going to work out this much. I'm going to shoot this many shots a day. The purpose is what you want to accomplish, and the programs are how. So what, what programs did Jesus put into place to carry out his purposes? Well, how about this? How about apostles? His purposes. That was a special program to be a part of. Next slide. Only 12 were chosen right? And they would be the ones who would carry out his purposes after he would leave the earth. Another program, I don't, you maybe don't think about this often in this way, but what were, the, what were the purpose of miracles? How about the program of miracles? They helped him carry out his purposes. Think of all the doors for ministry, all the doors for evangelism that were open because Jesus performed a miracle and perhaps the most ambitious program of all, the church. The kingdom on earth, talk about an effective ministry program, one that's kept on going and going and going long after Jesus was gone, long after the apostles were gone. Jesus knew that this ministry depended upon disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples. All right? Consider this. What's the purpose of the church? It's many of those very same things, isn't it? To seek and save the lost to do the Father's will on earth, to serve, to give ourselves up with a sacrificial and maybe strange-looking love to the world, to fulfill the Scriptures. Remember, the church was instituted, it was instituted in the New Testament, but it was prophesied all the way back in the Old Testament in the days of Daniel, talking about an unshakable kingdom. 
Another purpose of the church, to show people what that abundant life that Christ offers looks like, to persuade people to make a hard choice to follow Jesus, even when it's hard. Effective ministry has people, purpose, programs, and it also deals with problems. Did Jesus have problems in his ministry? You better believe it. He sure did. Look with me at John 6, verses 12 through 15. Actually, it's 14 and 15. Whenever you're working with people, what happens? You think about the triangle. Problems arise. John 6, 14 and 15. When the people saw the sign that he had done, he's just fed thousands of people uh, with a few small loaves and a couple of fish. They said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Okay, what's the problem here? Well, it it sounds sounds like a pretty sweet deal, right? They're ready to make Jesus the king, and for some reason he, he disappears. Why? Because knowing your purpose helps you say yes to the right things, and no to the wrong things. Where, where did become an earthly king fit into Jesus' list of purposes? Wasn't part of the plan. Jesus dealt with other problems in his ministry. Think about the criticism that he faced. We read the story of Zacchaeus a moment ago, but uh, people would say things to him like, you can't do that, you can't heal that man on the Sabbath. Uh, he cast out pa- uh, demons by the power of Beelzebub. You can't eat and drink with sinners. How did Jesus handle problems? This is key. Anytime we face a problem, Whatever it is, whether it's in our marriage or in our job or dealing with people, it can always be solved by pointing back to the purpose. What am I supposed to be doing? What what are things supposed to look like? Jesus, why are you spending time with Zacchaeus? Why do you associate with sinners? He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. That's why I came. Think about it this way. In, uh, In the Old Testament, how did God's model for his children of Israel look like? Well, he put, you know, think about it this way. His purpose was to set his people apart and to call them out. And he held up his law and he said, these are the purposes for my people. This is how I want you to spend your time. This is how I want you to live. Well, here comes a problem, the problem of sin. Because Israel usually had a way of wandering into idolatry. And then what would happen? They would cry out to God. God would raise up a prophet for them. And what would the prophet do? How did God fix the problem? Every time it was the same. Hey, remember my laws? He pointed people back to his purpose. Remember my laws? If you'll do the purposes of God, if you'll do these things again, and you'll start living right, you'll be blessed. People, purpose, program, problems. I could give several more examples. There's a great one in Acts chapter 6 with the widows who are being neglected and how, how that was solved with the same idea here. But our time's running short. If I were to hold up a bag of Lego pieces in a Ziploc bag, imagine every set of Legos at the store came like that. Legos in a Ziploc bag, no instructions, no box, no picture on the box for you to compare. Why would that be a problem? If the picture's missing, you have no idea what you're building, right? You don't know if you got a Death Star set, or a submarine, or a pirate ship, or the Eiffel Tower. You don't have any idea why. It's important to know what you're building, right? What is it that we're trying to build here in this congregation? What is it that we're trying to build in our youth program here? What I want to do for the next few minutes is show you what God has been building here in our youth program 
I hope you understand that what we're building here is not, is not built out of pizza or dodgeball or just crazy off-the-wall ideas. What we're doing here, what we're trying to build here is, is very, very, um, it goes deeper than that, building with purpose. In 2014, we did a, a cocoon leaders retreat, and you just got to bear with me. If you're connected with the youth program, you know I have the weirdest names for stuff. But we did, we did a, a cocoon leaders retreat. Our cocoon leaders are some adults in this congregation who've committed themselves uh, to be a part of our Wednesday night program with our youth. On every Wednesday night during the school year, they come over, and every grade, each gender of every grade, has two leaders assigned to them. So it ends up being 14 cocoons, and there's two per grade. There ends up being 28 cocoon leaders. And the plan is, as these students grow up, for these adult leaders to continue to grow with them. And so over time, you build some really strong relationships with people in this congregation. And that's what that's about. So in 2014, we do a retreat with our cocoon leaders, and uh, we ask them the following questions. So what we spent time thinking about and studying and praying about that weekend. Number one, what does strong, healthy youth ministry look like? Number two, what are the things that have helped you sustain your faith over the years? Number three, what, what things will we want every one of our students to have experienced or done by the time they leave the youth program? And then number four is a little bit different question, uh, but this is based on someone who was in our youth program. I changed her name, but I wanted you to understand uh, that this is stuff that our, our teens face sometimes. It says, Hannah is your new sister in Christ. She's 16 years old, and her parents are not Christians. Her home life isn't great. Her dad has been to prison, and her stepmom, to quote Hannah, hates her. Imagine that you have the opportunity to sit down with Hannah to talk about her new walk with God. You want, her, you want to help her grow in every way you can. What would you share with Hannah in that meeting? We discussed and prayed about those things. And those were some really great questions that I think led to some great discussion. And, uh, and really, because they helped us identify our purposes, what are we trying to build here? What I want to show you is what came out of that exercise. There's six words in our youth program that we really, really try to drive home. The first word is commit. Commit. What does that mean? We want every one of our kids to understand that when they commit their lives to God, they're committing their lives to His kingdom as well. We want every one of our students to commit to coming on Sundays and Wednesdays. Number two, connect. We want all of our students to connect with Seven people in this congregation. Why is that kind of a magic number? There's some research that shows that if you'll connect with seven people in a congregation, you'll stay connected to that congregation. If you don't connect with seven individuals, you probably won't stay faithful to that church. Number three, grow. We want every one of our students to continue to grow and develop in their faith. Remember, what happens when we purpose, by the way? Everything that we do is pointed towards these ideas. So all these weird youth events that we do, they accomplish one or several of the things that we're showing you right now. Commit, connect, grow. The next one is serve. We want every one of our students to find a way to serve in the body of Christ, and, and they're great at it. Students are awesome servants of God. Tell. We want every one of our students to understand how important it is to tell people about God and tell people about His church. That's evangelism, and they're so great at that. They do such an awesome job of bringing their friends to events and all the weird things that we do. Uh, they're great about inviting their friends to it. And then finally, the word thrive. That's an important word because you think about developing a faith. 
that lasts well beyond the years of high school and well beyond the years of college. We want every one of our students to have a thriving faith. Uh, what I'll say to them is we want them one day to leave the youth group, but we never want them to leave the Lord. We never want them to leave his church. Remember this from earlier? When we understand our purpose, it points us in a direction. Okay, where are we going? What are we doing here? Number two, it, it governs our schedule. It's how we build a youth calendar. Number three, it, it helps us say yes to things and no to things, the things that don't fit with what we're trying to do. We don't, we don't do them. It gives us a to-do list. Okay, it's Monday morning. How do I need to spend my time? I've got a retreat next week. How do I need to spend my time this week? Number, where are we at? Five, it causes us to evaluate who we are and what we're doing and respond accordingly. Another thing that came out of that retreat this weekend, it's really small on the screen, I'm sorry, but it's something at the top that says the MJYG bucket list. Now, a bucket list is the things that you hope you can do before you die. That's kind of morbid. But in the youth program, this is a list of things that we hope every one of our students will have experienced or done by the time they leave the, the 12th grade. We hope they've read the Bible, the entire Bible, from cover to cover. We hope that they've helped lead a, a friend to the Lord. We hope that they've become a committed disciple of Christ. We hope they've tried every youth event at least once. There's a whole lot of other things on that list, but that's an idea of the things, the goals that we have in our youth program. Since I'm a minister, and since I have a ministry, I want to be the best minister I can be doing the best ministry I can do. A few years ago in our youth program, we had a problem that arose. It was the problem of neglect. If you invited a friend to come on a retreat or to church, there was a really good chance that nobody would speak to them and you'd kind of have to babysit your friend. Why is that a problem? When you think back to the purpose of the church, the purpose of God's church was to be a welcoming place of love and encouragement. And that pointed us towards starting some programs. Go to the next slide or the next thing there. Yeah, God's church exists to love and care for people. It doesn't exist to neglect people. It exists to love and care for people. And the next one, it led to, the next slide, led to some programs that we decided to, to implement to start addressing some of those issues. The Lunch Ladies is a group of teens who meet together every week to encourage people. It's a student-driven ministry. You think about soul-focused meetings. You may not know this, but our staff meets together every Tuesday morning to pray and encourage people. Uh, and we talk about people in the congregation who are going through hard times, what we can do to minister to them. I remember hearing uh, David Shannon tell a story many times where I think plans were being made for the 115th anniversary here. I believe that's what it was. And, uh, and someone had a great idea. They said, you know, you think about David leading this meeting and brainstorming. I can see it in my mind. And he said, uh, someone in, in the room said, you know, it would be great. What if we invited everybody who grew up at Mount Juliet over the years who's now in full-time ministry, and on that day, we got them to lead the lessons, we got them to do uh, all the worship, we, we just got them to be in charge of the whole day, and it was awesome. Everybody in the room was really fired up and excited about it, and, uh, and someone said, okay, let, let's start a list. Who you got? And the room fell silent. He said it was a sobering moment because it was then that a problem was realized and that something needed to be done. There, at that point, had been no one who'd grown up here who was doing full-time ministry. Problem was realized. A purpose was identified. We need to be doing some things to equip our youth for ministry. And some programs were implemented. The circuit riders' ministry was started. 
You think about the guys who go and lead that worship in different places. It's to gain experience and to show them what it looks like. Our young ladies and young soldiers serving Christ, we think about what they do even from an early age. They're trained up to show them how they can serve God, whether it's leading worship or whether it's just serving people next door. I had a sobering moment myself um, when Laura and I were expecting our first child. It was overwhelming to think about the, the masses of students that were coming into the youth program, and uh, it, was, it was hard to think about how to minister to that many people effectively. And so I saw a problem in my ability to reach that many people. What I came to realize is that my ministry must be bigger than me. I looked at Jesus' model for ministry, and I thought about the way that he did it, and I remember thinking uh, that I was thinking about it the wrong way. My ministry has to be bigger than me. Remember the picture I showed earlier about a church with a minister and a church with ministers, full of ministers? One versus 100 doesn't work very well, but what if we put more ministers in the room? What if we had some other youth ministers in a room, youth servants, that's cocoon leaders and interns and mentors and our upgroup leaders and uh, a youth minister in residence like, like Blaine McKinney's doing. Our chances are a whole lot better to reach more people when you have more people on board doing ministry. When we look at how many young people leave the, the church in their college years and we think, man, that's a huge problem. What's the purpose? really comes back to that word thrive, right? We want them to have a faith that lasts and lasts and lasts all the days of their life. What programs do we need to implement? We have a program called Sick Days. That stands for spying in Canaan. What were the spies in Canaan sent out to do? They were sent out to see the land in which God was going to dwell and the place that God was going to deliver them to. We think about what we can do with our juniors and seniors in high school. We want to show them the place that when they go there, they want God to be in that place too, and we want them to see God in that place. That was the fault of several of the spies who failed to see that land without God in their perspective. We want our juniors and seniors to see these places and think about what does it look like to live as a Christian at this university? What's a church that I can get connected with? How can I serve God in this place? That's why that started. You think about all the things that have been done for our varsity ministry. That's done in an effort to continue to minister to our college-age students. You think about what we did this summer by having our first college intern. Again, that's another program pointing back to the purpose of helping kids have a faith that lasts and lasts and lasts. If there's somebody in the room this morning that's not connected to our youth program, I just want to encourage you to do that. I want you to know it can be a blessing to you. I really mean that. Again, God is building something beautiful here, and we would love for you to be a part of that. If you're not connected and you want to be, please take the time to connect with me. I think on the next slide I've got some info. Uh, yeah, if, if you would, if you've got teens or grandkids that are not connected to the youth program, I would love for them to be. Um, your kid, I, I hope you hear me out on this one. Your kid can be faithful to God without ever, once, without ever once stepping foot on a youth retreat. I mean that. The Bible does not say thou shalt attend all the youth retreats. It, I'm, I'm not preaching that this morning. But what I am saying to you is that it sure helps knowing that you're not alone. It sure helps them knowing they're not alone. As a parent, you're not alone. You've got other adults that care about them. You got other like-minded peers that care about doing the right thing, a group of invested adults that are on their team too. This morning, have you forgotten your purpose? What you're supposed to be spending your time doing? 
how you're supposed to be concerning your mind. It's easy to do once you come back to the one who gives you a reason to live. Jesus came to save you, to serve you, and to give himself up for you so that you could have eternal life. Might be a hard choice to make, but I promise you it'll be the best choice you'll ever make. If there's anything we can do to help serve you this morning, we want to encourage you to come as together we stand and sing together.